So we've been, we've been discovering in the last two weeks that we may be richer than we think. That if you annually make, after taxes, at least $34,000, you are in the top 1% of the wealthy in the world. That the median income in the world annually is $1,225. And some of us in this place spend more than that just in lattes in a year. Because that's only $23 to $24 a week. You say, but you know, I don't even make that, that $34,000 a year. But do you know that the poorest 5% in America on an average make what the richest 5% in India make? So here's the, here's the issue. We, we, we look at other people, we look what they make, and we, and we say, yeah, but, but I don't feel rich. So how, how many of you can honestly say that most of your life you haven't really felt rich? Come on. I haven't. So I've been thinking about when did I ever feel the richest? And so as I was thinking about it, and I even told Pam this, Pam, I think the richest I've ever felt with us is, is right after we were first married and we had moved into, um, we had moved to California, we moved into a, a small apartment, it was a really nice apartment and it, it was small but it overlooked, uh, in, the, in California, it overlooked the tennis courts and the swimming pool. And, and so I would sit out on the, on the patio and take tennis lessons just by listening to the pro. And then I would finally have to come back inside because I got tired of Marco Polo, Marco Polo, Marco Polo coming out of the pool. I hate that. <laughs> but but the, the amazing thing about it, it was that we felt rich because both of us were working, both of us had a decent income. We were living within a conservative budget, we were actually saving, and we were giving away 30% of our income. Well, subsequent to that, we have made a lot more money per year. We have owned houses. We've not only owned one car, we've owned two cars. We've owned a lot of stuff, and we have raised three children. But it dawned on me this week that I never, even though we've made a lot more money, I've never felt as rich as I did in those early years. And so I've come to this conclusion, and you may want to write this down. You want to feel rich? Get rid of your kids. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, seriously, if you want to be rich, let's try this. Keep margins. And, and you, are, you are familiar with margins because you were introduced to that when you went to school in your early years. You remember that piece of paper that you would get would have the red lines on it, the margins? Remember those? Those margins are boundaries to keep the writer from going to the edge of the page. Those are margins. When it comes to margins in living life, a margin is the boundary between how we are presently living and the end of our resources. There's a space in between. There's a book that I want to encourage you to read. If you've never read it, I think everybody should read this book. It's written by a medical doctor, Richard Swenson, and the name of the book is called Margin. 
And I would encourage you to look this up and to read it. And if you say, I don't have time to read it, then you do need to read it. And in his book, there are many axioms on how we should function. And, and I want to present two to you this morning. Uh, this is his axiom number three. All humans have physical, mental, emotional, and financial limits that are relatively fixed. We get one page, and all that we have is on that page, and that's it. Axiom number four. The profusion of progress is on a collision course with human limits. That means that as we have made progress in the world, and as we have more information and gain more knowledge and have more opportunities, there is a greater demand on our resources saying, be involved in this thing. He goes on to say that once the threshold of these limits is exceeded, overload displaces margin. And you know what it's like to be in overload. You've seen the symptoms. You've felt the symptoms. You've said things like this. Where did my time go? Where did my energy go? Where did, my, where did my money go? And what it creates in us when we go past those margins is a disorientation. A disorientation in our minds as we, as we grasp with and, 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 and scramble around trying to figure out how am I going to solve this? How am I going to make ends meet? We're like the overloaded guy in the yoga class when his instructor said, release all those sounds that are trapped in your mind, and this is what happened. And release all those sounds that are trapped in your mind. Sir, are you okay? I'm a little messed up. Ever feel that way? You want to scream and you want to say, I'm a little messed up, because we are. Disorientation comes as a result of moving beyond our boundaries. And as we get there, as, as we begin to move beyond those boundaries and we begin to gain more, now understand we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, the more we have, the more we think we need. The more we have, we begin to think that this has got to be how I secure my life. So if I can just have this amount of stuff, my life will be secure. If I can have this amount of stuff, I will then be able to enjoy life. And what happens to us is we begin to migrate from a hope that is in God as our security and our enjoyment to a hope in our stuff. And Jesus said, I, I need to warn you about this. So here's what Jesus said to his disciples. Matthew 6 records it. He said, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Yeah, but I do worry about tomorrow. Do you? Because I, I think I need this thing. I, I, I see something on sale and I think, I'm going to need that tomorrow. So I, I'm worried about if I'm going to have enough for tomorrow. So, so Pam and I were at Pizza Hut this week and early this week, and, and we recognized that they were... They had a special, and you get two medium pizzas, whatever you want on it, for like six-something each. You had to buy two. He said, well, 
we said, we can't eat too. And he said, oh, tomorrow, we, we have enough for tomorrow. And so we, we boxed up enough for tomorrow. We do that in our lives. We say, but if I get this and I get this, I can box this up for tomorrow. But the question is, how good are we at protecting what we have boxed up? How good are we protecting what we say is enough? Will it st still be there when we get tomorrow? I am age 60, and I'm asking the question now, will my Social Security be there tomorrow? I don't think so. So I got more pizza. <laughs> what will tomorrow be like, and can we protect it? We, we have a family in, in, the, in this community of faith that this last Wednesday, in the morning, they heard some strange noises, looked out, and their entire, po entire pole barn was on fire. And all their stuff in there that they have, that they use, that they collect, it's all gone. It's all gone. If you would ask them on Tuesday, how are things going? They said, well, we got the stuff, it's good. It's gone. How will we protect what we have? Can we take care of it? And to these folks, when they say, what about tomorrow? Jesus says... I've got tomorrow. So Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal and where barns burn. I throw that one in. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. And herein lies the way that we begin to feel rich. This is where we begin not to cross over the margins to come to the end of our resources. This is the fine print because I think we're going to discover that we are richer than we think and how can we really be good at being rich? And how will I really enjoy it? How will I enjoy what I have right now? And the fine print is simply this. Be generous like Jesus. And always have enough for today as a result. So that's a weird statement. Lay, lay up treasures in heaven. I don't know what you picture in your mind. When I, when I picture that in my mind, it's just really hard to do. I, I read of a guy who, who took his money and threw it up in the air and said, God, whatever you want, you keep. The rest of it is mine. So is that like treasures in heaven? How, how, how do we do that? And it's such a foreign concept to us who live in a culture that every day, if you're watching television, if you're driving down and see the electronic billboards, it's all, it continues to tell us, you need more, you need more, you need more, you need more, you need a new car, you need a new suit, you need, you need this thing new. Then this is a big sale. There's never going to be a sale like this ever before. Macy's only has one sale a year, and it's 365 days a year. It just, it just comes at you. Do you ever feel that? Just boom, boom. And you ever get that? You go, well, if I don't get that now, then I may, it may never be the same again. And so we have this drive that we look at the couch and say, you know, my other couch is really good, but this one would really be nice now, and it's got the little recliner thing in it, and it would be really great. And maybe I should get that one, even though, and I have a little room on my credit card, so I'm going to put that on there. Well, look, at, look at, they've got a sale on this 60-inch this HDTV, and it's just, it's just a great, it's beautiful, and the color is so brilliant, and it's a little bit more brilliant than what I've got right now, and the sale, there'll never be a sale like, a, like that on that TV, and if I don't get this now, I'll be so sorry, and they're running a deal where I can get it now, and I don't have to pay it for 24 months. And so we got this stuff running at us all the time. The truth of the matter is this, that anything not going with us when we die is called treasure on earth. 
And Jesus says, don't store up that stuff. Don't do it. In the context of being ready to be like Jesus in any culture, and how many of your followers are Jesus? Okay, so, so I think we have this devotion, this drive to be like Jesus. And so we, Paul, Paul's going to say that in that context, here's how you live, whatever culture you're in. He said in Romans 13, 8, don't run up debts, except for the huge debt of love you owe each other. So what does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven? Let me give you a practical answer. Here's a working definition. To lay up, heaven, lay up in heaven means to protect margin so that we can be generous whenever the opportunity arises. That we have this space that we have not gone into so that when God says, I need you to be generous here, you can take that and place it there. And God says, that is treasure in heaven for you. And you will be rewarded. Because where we lay our treasure is where our heart will end up. And I don't want my heart in a barn that burns. I want my heart in stuff where Jesus is the center and he promises to protect it. That's what I want. So how do we do that? Well, we go back to some verses we've looked at in these recent weeks. Paul writes to Timothy and says, command the believers in the city of Ephesus about this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our what? I want to just stop there. There have been moments, to be honest with you, where we have received things or bought things or had opportunity. And we felt like God said, there, enjoy yourself. God is not against us enjoying. God is not against us having good stuff. But God's got to be in the center of that stuff. I mean, one time we were on a trip, this was a lot of years ago, and we went to this place called Hearst Castle. It's this amazing castle written by, uh, put together by William Randolph Hearst, and it's just this huge castle with arts, artworks and, and a, an Olympic-sized pool with gold tile. And, and, and so we didn't know. We showed up and they said, oh, we're really sorry, but you, you need to get tickets like three weeks in advance. I said, oh, man. What are we going to do? So I walked back up to see if there's any way. And, and just as I got to, the, to, the, to my place in line, this, this lady peels off and leaves. And I well, step up and said, are you sure there's nothing? She said, this lady just in front of you just turned in two tickets. Would you like them? And I felt like God said, gotcha covered. I'll let, I'll let you enjoy this. And I said, well, God, I, I need a new car too. So if you could just, <laughs> if you'd have somebody down in the parking lot just say, hey, I don't need this Rolls. Here you go. God has us already set to enjoy our life. He's already set. But here's the problem. When we pursue stuff, we have a danger of missing our daily enjoyment. So when my dad was fighting dementia, and the time came that my mom had to place him in a, in a facility that could care for him better than she could, the time came that she understood that he would not be coming back home. And so she began to invite family that lived close to her in Springfield to come and go through stuff because my dad had stuff that he just wasn't using and would never use again. And so they would go into the garage, and you've got to understand this about my dad. My dad had more tools than Sears. 
And the way that would happen is that he would, he would buy some tools and then he would, he would pile stuff on top of those tools and couldn't find those tools anymore. And so then he'd go buy another one of the same thing. So he'd have, I mean, he like had 20, 20 wrenches of the same size. He, would, he had hammers all over the place. It's just, he, and it kept piling and piling and he kept amassing all this stuff and never using something very much often, more than like a couple of weeks and then losing it. But he had tools, but never really enjoyed any single one of them very long. If we're not careful, we pile on so much that we lose sight of what we do have. And then we don't begin to enjoy it or have time to enjoy it. So I want to propose this to us today, that gaining more actually can lessen our enjoyment of life. Paul, in writing to Timothy, also says this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Let's dissect that a moment. Godliness with contentment. Godliness. What is godliness? Let me define that for you. Godliness is the pursuit of where Jesus protects our heart. I'm going after God wherever he is because he will protect my heart there and I'm going to go to that place where he's protecting my heart and I'm going to pursue him as best I can. And pursuing God is a 24-hour job with incredible reward. Because where my heart is is also my what? My treasure. It's there. And because God has planned for me to enjoy what I have that he's already given me, I should look today for that enjoyment of what I already have, not what I think I'm missing. That when I sit on that couch that I think maybe it would be really nice to have another one, I think God wants me to say, hey, thank you that I got a couch to sit on. This is really good. And he knows if it's worn out and your back's hurting because of it, you can ask him, say, I need a new couch and give him time to get you one. But he knows exactly what we need. So, so I've always told Pam, ever since we were married, I said, one day I want to have a 65 and a half Mustang convertible cherry red. I want that. So we'll drive down the street. Oh, there goes one, there goes one, there goes one. There goes, this is so great. But here's the deal. If I was in the middle of the Mojave Desert and I'm dying of thirst and I say, oh God, please, you know what I need. And suddenly a Mustang showed up. <laughs> I'd say, no, 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 this is not the right thing. I, I just need, I need, I need a gallon of water. See, God knows what we need today to enjoy life because he knows us perfectly. Contentment is knowing that in our minds and becoming at rest with that saying, I have exactly what I need to enjoy today. It's in my hands because God has placed it there so that there is no need for me to hoard or to borrow or to go beyond those margins because he's got me covered today. So early in my ministry here, about 20 years ago, I, I did a sermon and I, and I borrowed a, a suit from Duska's funeral home. I did not wear it, but I brought it up and put it on the stage, and it's an actual suit that they would bury a person in who did not have a suit. And so our son was... was in early high school and, 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 and brought Chad up on the stage and I, and I said, here, Chad, here's 20 bucks. And, and, he, and he, he would like to have that 20 bucks. I said, all you need to do is, is put this $20 bill in one of the pockets in the suit. 
He couldn't do it, not because he's stupid, but because there are no pockets in a funeral suit. Do you know why? You're not going anywhere with that money. It's not going anywhere. So here's the deal. Godliness with contentment, godliness pursuing God where he protects our heart, understanding that whatever I need at that moment, he will give to me so that I can enjoy it, and it's already in my hands most of the time. But that if I begin to pursue other things, I will spend so much time trying to get those things that I won't take time to enjoy what he put in my hands today. And in the top of all of that, that most of the stuff I go after will not go with me because I can't take it with me when I die. Gaining more actually lessens our enjoyment. But even worse, gaining more can actually be dangerous. So Paul says to Timothy, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many and foolish, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. So I'm going to stop right there and say, if by chance you won the lottery today and got $50 million, first of all, tithe. (laughs) And secondly, read this passage. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So I have a friend who lives in Mesa, Arizona, and every year I go visit him in March. And and in the mornings, a lot of times, I go for a run. And so in Mesa... There are sidewalks that I run on because off the sidewalks are cacti with really big needles. One day I was running, and I thought I was pretty cool. I thought I was getting speed, so I kind of leaned into the corner. And I met my first cactus and was introduced to a needle. Went right into my leg. And it went deep. And it hurt. Paul says that if you lean too far into getting stuff, that you will get pierced. And he says you will be pierced with sorrow. That word means to go down deep. It means to have a sinking feeling. You'll begin to feel like you're never going to have enough. You'll become disoriented, and you will even have a craving to get more because you feel like you're not secure and you're not enjoying even what you do have. He says, as that happens, you will run into temptation. And that temptation is simply this, that you'll begin to, to inter, you'll begin to receive offers and even think about taking those offers to do things that you have never considered to do before. That, that you will, because you now need some things, because having drives you to want more, you'll begin to even to think about shady deals. Somebody says, hey, if we do this, we can do this, and we can, we can, we, they won't even know at the IRS, and you, can, and, and you start to think about it, because if I can do this, I can be secure. You may become a workaholic. Say, I've just got to have more, so I'm going to put more hours in, and I'll get more stuff that way, and I'll have more money and more in my IRA, and I'll be really good, but the problem is then you begin to work so many hours that your family begins to suffer. And you, and, and you say to yourself, but down the road, it'll be okay. 
And then you spend so much time at work that you, you, you have everybody else around you that's spending so much time at work that, that after work, after those long hours into the evening, they say, hey, let's just stop over here. And you begin to party with them. And, and, and you begin to do things you wouldn't have done before. And then you start to connect in relationships. You're never home. You begin to, to begin to have a flirtatious thing happen between you and her or her, you, you and him. And it just suddenly it's just, it, it stuff's happening that you said, I would never do that before. He says, what will happen then is that you will be trapped. And that word actually means to be put in a noose. You'll begin to choke on overload. And you will have introduced into your life harmful desires, which means to begin to long for something that was previously forbidden. He said, it'll ruin you. And that word ruin means that you will become unintelligent. You'll become stupid. And it will create destruction. The word means to be injurious towards other people. You'll start to hurt other people that you wouldn't have never done that before. Leaving you with punishment and loss. And he says, there is no kind of evil to which the love of money may not lead once it takes hold of us. So I remember sitting with, with Jerry in his home. I'm sitting with Jerry and, and Jerry had been a multimillionaire several times. And he calls me over and says, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm just dying here. I'm dying. I'm just I'm trying to make all this work. And, it's, and it's, Jerry's the kind of guy that would cut corners all the time. One time he moved a house in Boise, Idaho, a huge house, to make it a bed and breakfast. He moved it at night. He moved it down the streets. He cut down trees and popped up wires without ever getting permission from the government. The next thing they know, the house is no longer there. It's like 15 blocks over. It's the stuff Jerry would do. And that's why Jerry said to me, have there been any federal agents coming by asking about me? <laughs> he said, my marriage is falling apart. My kids are just driving me crazy. And they're, they're just doing stuff that I just can't believe they're doing. And he went through the whole thing of his misery. And he had wealth. But he was dying. I said, Jerry, one of these days, you're going to have to really trust Jesus to get you through life. And we talked about that. And I kept saying, one of these days, Jerry, one of these days. And he looked at me finally and said, well, what about now? I said, really? And at that moment, Jerry migrated away from his hope in stuff and came back to a trust in God. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. So you want to feel rich? How many want to feel rich? I want to feel rich. So let me give you four actions to take to keep a contented margin. Number one, buy things for usefulness and not status. We were trying to teach our kids that in high school because they thought they should have the brand name of everything. I don't want that. And it just, it, just take those sneakers back. I just wanted to kick them. And so we try to teach them that you can't have brand names of everything. And we thought we finally got through to Chad because he began to buy stuff at Goodwill. It's like, yes. And it wasn't bad stuff. It was, it was reconditioned stuff. It was great. And I thought he was getting the concept. And one day he showed up with a polo shirt that had the word manager. And I thought, well, that's great. That's even better. Because now he's got some incentive for leadership until I realized it said Hooters manager. I said, no, no. I don't think you've got the concept here.
We need to stop impressing people with our clothing and start impressing them with our lives. Number two, continuously declutter. How many of you have a basement and you have no idea what's down there? You see things move down there. You didn't even know we're down there. I like what attorney Bob Goff does. Bob Goff, on every Thursday, quits something. He just quits something. It just he declutters his life. He quits going someplace. He quits a club. He quits, he quits something. Some of you just need to quit dating somebody. You need to give that up. Whatever that stuff is, the stuff that, that, that you always have to dust, and it's just still stuff that's there, why is it there? The stuff that you have to sort, the stuff that you have to store, the duplicates of the stuff you have, just in case tomorrow I need it. Simplify your life and get that out of your life. Number three, develop the habit of giving stuff away. That's why we've been telling you the last couple of weeks, look every day to find some way to be generous, to give something away. Make it part of your DNA. So Pam and I are coming from Pizza Hut with a box full of pizza for tomorrow because we have enough. We get off of 79 up to Interchange Road and there's a guy standing there with a sign that says, Veteran, Hungry. And the first thing in my mind to justify not paying attention is, oh, what scam is this? And I'm trying to, to not make that my, my nature. I want a second nature that says, be generous. And, and Pam says, where's the box? Not the pizza. <laughs> what will we eat tomorrow? <laughs> so the guy walks up to the window. It comes down, out comes this big box of pizza. I say, you like pizza? Yep. I said, okay, here you go. Then he takes it and lays it down in the grass. And we, we kind of mutter to ourselves and say, wonder how much food he's got back there. But it doesn't matter. Because God said, here's your opportunity to be generous. Do, do you want to store up in heaven? You want to store up on earth? That's spontaneous. You know, most people give... At the end of the year, maybe they give in church and they, and they get a little thing that says, hey, you, you know, you gave $2,000 to church. And you go, I did? Because it's accidental. They just, it was just a spontaneous thing. I like that. It's spontaneous. You weren't thinking about joining us today in the, in the generous giving thing. Go, go do that and help get people in school and whatever. But generosity should be part of your strategy. So you need to go back to your budget and say, we're going to give this certain percent away. It's our goal to give this away because I want to store up in heaven and not in barns that burn. Besides that, when you give percentages away, especially if you start with 10, which is the whole thing of tithing to the community of faith to take care of people, God says, if you give the 10%, I'll make the 90% better than the 100% that you had before. So, Develop the habit of giving stuff away. Number four, reject. Reject, enjoy now, and pay later. Because quite frankly, you will not enjoy later. Not going to happen. To do that, I think there's two questions we have to ask ourselves continuously to make sure that we're inwardly content. Number one, is Jesus giving this to me? You say, how am I supposed to know that? Well, here's the deal. 
if, if you really sense that, that what you've received is Jesus saying, I really want you to have this, this is good for you, and you, and you say, thank you, Jesus, I see you in the middle of it, that's good. But if you're out here getting things and you have to say, does Jesus really want me to have this? And, and you know, this is like you, your third suit that you bought this week. You might want to reconsider. And secondly, if Jesus gave it to you, say, Jesus, what do you want me to do with this and how should I enjoy it? Don't just lay it aside. How does God want you to enjoy what you presently have? Did Jesus give this to me? If he didn't, then you shouldn't have it. And if he did, then you should enjoy it. So enjoy it. Again, I'm telling you that I'm not telling you what, that you can't drive a BMW or you can't, I can't tell you those things. I have a friend who, who gives away expensive cars and somehow gets them back. He gave away a Mercedes to someone, someone else found out and gave him one. He said, that didn't happen to me. I, I don't care. God's taking care of you how you need to be. And I'm just saying that if you have a 1965 and a half Mustang that, well, that's another story. (laughs) Second question. Is what I have available to others? Because here's the deal. When we think that what we have is our security, we hold tightly to it. We have got to walk along with our hands wide open saying, God, whatever you want me to give away, I'll do that because you've asked me to. Look for that opportunity. So how's your margins? Are you feeling overloaded? I think we need to come back to asking the question, What is the fine print? And the fine print is this. Be generous like Jesus and always have enough for today because Jesus will protect our generosity.